Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics at Measure Up podcast. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation with Lauren Kelly, the founder and CEO of Opex Engine, to dive deeper into benchmarking and how the use of benchmarking will evolve over time as the B2B SaaS and cloud industry evolves. In this episode, we'll be covering three main topics. First of all, we're going to dig deeper into financial versus operational benchmarks how to use them, some of the risk and rewards of using operational benchmarks more effectively and efficiently. The second, we'll talk about the opportunities and risk of benchmarking against public companies, especially their financial benchmarks. And then we'll try to cover a little bit about the need or the benefit of standardizing these B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks. And lastly, we'll try to look at the evolution of where we see B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarking going. Lauren, thank you so much for staying with us and continuing our conversation on benchmarks and benchmarking. Thanks, Ray. Great to be here. Let's dig deeper into a topic we discussed the first episode. I'm not sure we really gave it enough time or did it enough justice. And that is revisiting the difference between using benchmarks for financial performance metrics or lagging indicators of company success and using the operational metrics and benchmarks, really the leading indicators that's going to drive the financial outcome. So can you talk a little bit more about the use of these operational benchmarks in your practice? Absolutely. And I think you you said it, Ray, that financial benchmarks tend to be lagging benchmarks. They're accounting benchmarks. They're looking at the previous period or the previous couple of periods. And operational benchmarks are looking at the current state of the business and ratios that help define predictive information about how the company is going to perform and the whole value of the SaaS model and why investors are paying, you know, 20x, even 40x the, you know, enterprise value or the market cap, I mean, the revenue to market cap um, multiples are so high is because of the predictive value of SaaS companies. And those metrics aren't based necessarily on the financial numbers. They're based on the operational metrics, the retention rates, the customer lifetime value rates, you know, which contribute to the revenue growth rate, but it's it's a consistent number. And that's what investors are betting on. So let me give you another example of why operational metrics are so important. So my last company, we took public in 2001 as we were an early company. I would say that probably there was not another internet or software company out there that had as small a number of failures of customers to pay. Companies were experiencing you know, 30% of their customers couldn't pay as the market crashed in 2001. And then, you know, especially after 9-11, it was even worse. We had less than 5% 
because we had a very analytical way of looking at our customers and the, you know, not looking at their payment histories or their financial numbers, but looking at their operations and looking at our sales numbers and structures within and our retention and our engagement, even back then. And so we had a very high, you know, payment and assurance that our customers were solid. They may have extended their payment terms, but we were tracking that kind of thing. Those are all operational metrics that give you an indication of how strong your business is. Well, let's dig down into operational metrics and thus benchmarks a little bit more for our listening audience. So we talked about using benchmarks informationally or strategically in the last episode. So first, let's talk about operational benchmarks and how they're used in that kind of planning and budgeting process. So that's the first thing I'd like you to share. Give us some examples of an operational benchmark. Then we will move to more of operational benchmarks that are used to really course correct and manage the business after we've set the budget and plan. So first of all, operational benchmarks and the budgeting and planning process. Some examples. Perfect. So, and very timely because it's fall and everyone is gearing up for their budgeting and planning process for next year. So what we see, one of the best practices, and I'll just describe this and then I'll show some of the operational benchmarks that really identify strengths or or differences in companies. In terms of the budgeting process, the typical process is that, you know, from the top down, you have some targets. And then from the bottoms up, you know, the finance organization is sending out to each of the departments a budget template. And, you know, the sort of traditional way of doing it is just send out the budget template. A better way to do it is to send it alongside a benchmark for not just the expense and the headcount for that department, but key metrics and operational metrics for that department. So for sales, looking at, you know, ratios between account execs and BDRs, sales productivity, certainly, ratios between new sales, expansion sales, renewals, those kind of things. At the same time, at the expense level and at the headcount level, the next best thing and really what we see the most strategic companies doing is they'll send along with, for example, the sales budget template and benchmarks for very specific sales operational metrics. They will send benchmarks for all the other departments of the company so that sales can see how they fit into the whole. Because in the SaaS world, unlike the traditional world where each department was sort of siloed and operated, you know, and negotiated their own budget. And only at the very top of the company was there sort of settling up between sales and marketing and R&D and all the different resource allocations of the company. In today's world, the heads of sales need to understand what the resource allocations to marketing and to R&D and to professional services are so that Each department is supporting each other so that sales understands that in order for me to produce this target number, I need to have this many leads. I need to have this many product innovations, you know, brought to fore, and they have to have the money to pay for that. It's all coming out of the same pie. So Lauren, what you're saying is best practices when you allocate the budget templates 
you show, okay, sales is going to be 25% of total revenue next year from an expense to revenue. Marketing is going to be 10%, let's say, or 15. But you show it all to each department. But then you go to the next level and actually say, for us to hit the 10 million of new ARR, we're going to need to generate a thousand leads. So really going down to that second level kind of departmental operating metrics that lead to the financial metrics. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to need this level of retention because that's going to bring in that much, you know, renewal revenue. And in order to get that kind of retention, we're going to have to have this kind of engagement by our customers, whether you track customer engagement by certain analytics or by, you know, net promoter score or whatever. It all works together. It's a, you know, we talk about the flywheel, the customer flywheel, and you can't operate any part of the the budget in a silo anymore. Everyone has to understand what everybody else needs. And in terms of the, the benchmarks, I mean, the benchmarks, and that gets into the question of how do you find the right benchmarks? Is there just one industry benchmark? We should definitely talk about that. But the point is that benchmarks aren't a black and white blueprint that says, okay, it must be this way and that's it. You know, we'll just follow the blueprint. But you need to know the benchmark and your department heads need to be able to intentionally say, this year we have to spend more on tech debt in order to achieve our customer retention rates and you know, we're not going to be able to spend as much on new development. Even though the benchmark for tech debt is only 20%, we need to spend 30% this year. And they have to intentionally choose to do that and be able to, but they need to know what everybody else in the industry is doing. So I think this can be a point of confusion to the listeners. So operational benchmarks, which say you should spend X percent on sales and Y percent on marketing against a similar light company cohort, that might be easier to understand. But now you're talking, Lauren, about possibly going down to like like sales, you need to have a two AEs to one SDR ratio, or you need to have a close rate of 24% for your enterprise and 21% for your commercial accounts. Don't you start getting a lot of pushback that those, that second level of operational benchmarks, it's like, hey, we're different. You can't tell us what the benchmarks really are. Absolutely, which is why, I mean, that's what we've built our business at Opix Engine on, which is that we apply. So Opix Engine, the way Opix Engine works is it's a give to get network of benchmark B2B software and SaaS benchmarking companies. And every company puts their data in and um, it's anonymized and protected. And then once they've contributed their data and it's been validated, then they can apply filters by revenue size, by different business models. And so you can really get down in a very granular way as long as all the data, you know, the individual contributors are protected, you can get down to a very similar business model to your company. And that also, part of the value of benchmarking is credibility. So how many of us have been into a meeting and you present some benchmarks and then you're trying to affect some decision or some change and the other party in the meeting who doesn't want to make that change says, 
well, where did these benchmarks come from? You know, that doesn't apply to us. That's Salesforce, you know, they're a billion, multi-billion dollar company. We're a $50 million company, totally different business. You know, that's crap or such words. So with our system and whether you're using our system or you're using something else, absolutely. You need to say, okay, let's take a look. Let's apply different filters and say, let's get down to the right aggregation of companies that are similar to us. You know, let's go even one more level of granularity. I just got off a webinar and I knew the speaker really well. So I, I sent a LinkedIn message to him and he basically said, I don't believe in external benchmarks, especially when you look at things and the funnel process. So a lead conversion to an opportunity or an opportunity to a close because everyone defines what a lead is or a marketing qualified lead or an opportunity different. Are you aligned that it's really hard to benchmark those that level of operational benchmarks? I totally agree. So for example, we don't do funnel metrics. And you can also look at, you know, I don't want to get into all the different ways of doing business, you know, the whole argument that the funnel is out and it's the flywheel, but metrics are metrics. What we do is we do actually collect numbers of marketing qualified leads. And also we know how many deals have been closed for a company. So I don't believe that we could provide good benchmarks in between MQLs and closes. I feel pretty confident that the companies that I'm working with know how many deals they've closed in a year, you know, what the value is and, and what the deals are. And I feel pretty confident that MQLs have standardized in the industry so that I can get a good number. But everything in between is unique to each company and the sales organization and their sales methodology and a variety of other factors I won't get into. So are you saying that even when someone says we should have a 28% close rate, because that's what it should be for an enterprise company of our type, you would even question those benchmarks? Well, just exactly what you said. I don't know what you mean by close rate, 28% of what? Yeah. When do you start? What's a qualified opportunity? Everyone knows what a close is, but they don't know what a qualified opportunity is. So that's the unknown input variable, right? Yeah. So I think a marketing qualified lead is, you know, it's not perfect, but I don't even accept a sales qualified lead because sales qualified leads, some companies that's, it's just, it's too broad. So absolutely, we have to use judgment. And I think you know, that's the benefit of the business that we do, which is we only do one vertical. I think you can't go to that level of, you know, so we do B2B software and SaaS, and we've all been in that industry for a long time. So, and it is constantly changing and evolving. And, you know, I know we're not perfect, but I think we put, you know, we put more energy and more focus on it than anybody because everybody else has other things to do. I think that you can't produce this level of operational benchmarking for myriad industries unless you had a lot of unbelievably good domain experts in every industry. I totally agree. So let's zoom out 
to bring in the rest of our listening audience. It's like how operational benchmarks sound really complex and nuanced. And that is the financial benchmarks that we all are hearing about, especially as you said, we're seeing 30x, 40x, even 50x enterprise value to next 12 months revenue. And that is the danger of benchmarking your financial performance against these public companies where you see 160% net dollar retention at a snowflake or a 57.9x forward-looking revenue multiples at bill.com. So first, Lauren, what's the danger and why is it so dangerous to benchmark yourselves against these public company comps if you're a private SaaS company? So in the first place, there's only one snowflake. So it's it's not really a benchmark. It's one company, and it's a great example. They're a fabulous company. You mentioned net dollar retention rate. That's not a financial metric. That's a, you know, in this case, it sort of verges on, you know, a vanity metric. And it's great, and it works well for them, and they have a great model. One of the, you know, what I was referring to before in terms of how you have to filter benchmarking by business model, in the first place, you know, these benchmarks around net retention rate, that's one of the ones that is so business model dependent. Because if you're selling into the SMB and you're selling a standardized, you know, set $5,000 per year per customer or, you know, even $1,000 per customer per year, and you have a huge TAM because it's the SMB, and that's all you do, you're not going to have 160% net retention rate because the customers you're selling to want a $5,000 product. They don't want a $20,000 product. In the enterprise, where there's a smaller number of companies, but you can start out with, you know, and land and expand. But with SMB, you can't land and expand necessarily. So there's the issue of whether your business model really allows you to increase it. And when I say there's some vanity there, obviously anyone who's in the public markets, there's you know, there's a lot of money riding on that, right? A lot of things riding on it. So you know, if I needed to have a really high net dollar retention rate, let's say I made my model to be, I sell a $50,000 prototype this year, and I get my customers to agree that if they like that 50,000, that next year they buy 100,000 because I'm offering them a lot of free you know, value up front to get them on board. And they agree that if it does all the things that I said it did, that next year I'll pay 100,000. And the product actually is worth upfront 100,000, but my model is to sell it for 50,000 and then move to 100,000. That's 100% you know, net retention rate. I just expanded all my customers. Investors would love that. You know, you could argue maybe I should have been selling it up for 100,000 up front. But I gave away half of my revenue in the first year because that vanity metric is worth more in the markets than it is in, you know, for my revenue. And that's a really important point. I was talking to Dave Kellogg on the podcast a few months ago, and we were talking about how once the industry looks at a particular metric and highly values it, like net retention rate is today. In fact, if you look at the 
R squared factor of net dollar or net revenue retention versus enterprise value, it's the number one R squared factor today. So we were talking about this company that says, okay, I'm going to sell on average a $300,000 product for three years, always three year subscriptions. And the first year I'm going to make it 60K. The next year I'm going to make it 110K. And next year I'm going to make it 130K. And it's going to have built in net dollar retention increases. Which brings up a question I wanted to ask you, Lauren, and that is a lot of these metrics and benchmarks, even what I'm considering financial benchmarks that public companies actually report on their 10Ks and 10Qs, like net revenue retention, are not FASB. They're not really regulated. So people are playing games with these, even in the biggest public companies. I can tell you one company that's got great net retention rates they don't look at the customers who churned period over period. They actually carve that out and their net retention rate is only for those customers who are in contract a year ago that are still on contract today, which inherently eliminates the churn in their net revenue retention. Do you think we need to get to the point where we have industry standards, even FASB-based standards for some of these industry benchmarks that investors are using to value companies? Yeah, I think, I mean, fundamentally, this relates to metrics, it relates to benchmarks, it relates to politics, it relates to life. We all need to be very clear about what we're talking about and the definitions of it and not use sort of high level net retention rate and assume it's all the same. You just gave a great example that that company changed the original cohort they were talking about. And, you know, you could call it net retention minus churn. And that would tell you just how much you expanded with the customers that you kept. And that's a valuable piece of information because I don't want to minimize how well I'm doing with the customers I expand with where net dollar retention includes churn. So I kind of lose that you know, number. So you could have net retention rate, you know, number one, number two, number three, as long as everybody knows what they are, but then it goes back to that sort of vanity issue of, are they doing it because it just looks better, you know, or not. I personally, as an operational person, I do want to know with my customers that I'm expanding with, how well am I doing that, especially if it's important to my model. I mean, you know, I think I'll cite another benchmark, ProfitWell, if you're familiar with the folks over there, they say, and this is, you know, a general benchmark, 30% of your revenue should be expansion revenue. Well, that goes back to, if it's not your business model, and you have a big enough market, and you can just sell a gazillion of the same thing, who cares what your expansion revenue is. But for the rest of us, who have, you know, specific markets, then we have to you know, focus on expansion revenue. I think the one thing that has come out in this conversation is the importance of cohort-based metrics and benchmarks, whether that's the cohort of who you're comparing yourself to and also making sure that you're comparing kind of the same formulas, but also for your target market. Make sure you do cohort-based analysis of your own metrics. If you're selling to the enterprise market, in the mid-market, and you have multiple products, you really need to understand your internal metrics and internal benchmarks on a cohort-by-cohort cohort basis. 
Do you think that's one of the most important areas that companies really need to think about, Lauren, when it comes to benchmarking themselves internally? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it's only that way. I think I love the expression sort of tops down, bottoms up. The budget process is tops down, bottoms up, tops down, bottoms up. I think the benchmarking process is tops down, bottoms up, both from the perspective of you have top down, high level corporate metrics like retention rates across the board, growth rates across the board, you know, customer lifetime value for your overall business. And then you have drivers of that that are separate operating metrics, but you also have what is the retention rate for each customer segment? What is, you know, the customer lifetime value for each customer segment? You know, for different Sales, you can look at it a million, slice and dice it a million different ways, depending on how you want to do that. You might have high performing sales teams and less well performing sales teams that might have nothing to do with the customer. You know, you should do it by product level, all those different ways to segment your cohort analysis, I think are important. So unfortunately, we have another episode with Lauren that went way too fast for me, but I want to leave it with one last question, Lauren, and that is a CEO and or CFO just walked out of their board meeting, and this is after Q3, right? Q3 ends, they got to do Q4, but they need to start planning for next fiscal year. And they're hitting a key inflection point. Let's say they're going from 10 million with the goal to get to 20 million. So it's at some key inflection point. And a board member says, you really need to benchmark kind of your plan for next year against your like company cohorts. What advice, very simple, two or three kind of high level bits of advice would you tell that CEO or CFO? If you've been asked to benchmark, these are the two or three things you really need to think about. And beyond that, there's a lot of nuances, but two or three key points, Lauren. I would say a lot of what you've brought up today, Ray, about benchmarking is critical, which is that Wherever you get your benchmarks, whether you get them from OPEX Engine or from Key Bank or from wherever, or from the financial markets, you need to make sure that the benchmarks that you're looking at really relate to your business based on your size of revenues, by your growth rate, by your invested capital. You know, we have $20 million companies benchmarking with us that have $250 million of invested capital. Their operating plan is quite different than other $20 million companies benchmarking with us that took maybe one or two million have, you know, they're profitable. They have a totally different plan than the other group. So the metrics for one don't work for the metrics for the other, but it's the same size company. I'll leave you with that. Benchmark against a similar like company cohort and look at multiple elements. So Lauren, thank you so much. You know, as I talk to so many companies about benchmarking, there's so many nuances and differences. And my recommendation to anyone who's starting a benchmarking journey, if it's okay, reach out to Lauren and Opex Engine. I think they have 15 years of experience where they can give you a lot of great insights. And I would like to invite people to reach out to me. I don't have the experience Lauren does, but I'm so passionate about how companies can use benchmarks. And I've been using myself as an operator for 30 years. And I've got a lot of scars of how I used them wrong and made some errors in my decision-making. But 
My point would be, don't just be focused on your internal metrics. Really think about benchmarking yourself against those like company cohorts. And I appreciate you listening today. Lauren, thank you so much for your time. It's invaluable to our listening audience. Thank you, Ray. This is fabulous. It's so great to talk to somebody who really gets benchmarking and has a lot of experience with it. So thank you. Everyone, thank you for listening and listening to Lauren Kelly's and Ray Reich's favorite topic, benchmarks, and good luck on your benchmarking journey. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.